Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. At the end of each week, I sit down for a casual Friday afternoon conversation with some of the brightest people building Web3. In this episode, I'm joined by Juicebox contributor Mr. Goldstein and FinTech PM and DeFi thinker Squarish Bread to discuss staked governance tokens. The conversation opens with a recap of the curve wars and the fascinating relationship between yield emission governance tokens and staking aggregators like Convex. The conversation then turns to VE Banny, the work in progress staked juice box token and the many intriguing designs active contributors are considering. This episode was mind bending and really fun to record. I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome. I invited Mr. Goldstein to talk a little bit about the staking mechanics that he's been thinking about along with a bunch of other people in Juicebox. And uh, I hear that you know something about Curve and Convex Squarish Bread. Yeah, I'm fairly familiar with the, the ecosystem. Interesting topic. But I yeah, guess there's but- lots of different mechanics. There's, there's vesting tokens. There's sort of governance advantages to staked tokens is something Juicebox was talking about. I guess there's a lot of different subsets of mechanics you can, you can apply here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the governance side is interesting. And then, I mean, I don't know. I'll admit I haven't kept up on JBX recently, so I don't know where you guys are going and if you're trying to, like, build liquidity. But, yeah, then it, then it gets very interesting as well in terms of, like, the voting, the bribing, the, you know, the delegating of the bribing, blah, blah, blah. Squares Red for context and Nick for context for you too. Squares Red was probably one of the first people that I called to get his take on creating VEJBX, which now we know is the NFT version, but I ideated with him early, early, early on when like three months ago, we just started thinking about it because he's very familiar with current convex. So maybe it would be good to start with like a basics of, is Curve sort of the, the first puzzle piece worth understanding in this or is there something even before that? V2, for, for everybody's uh, knowledge that's, that's listening, uh, Juicebox is going through a launch of a new uh, version. And V2 is going to be launched probably pretty soon. And it's, a re- it's already has been built. And that will allow us to start uh, a staking mechanism. And the staking mechanism, as it currently stands, will allow JBX token holders to stake a certain amount of JBX for a certain period of time and in return, get an NFT. Uh, so it's not going to be same as Curve getting a VE token. It's going to be an NFT that represents a stake JBX. But the longer the stake is, the stronger the voting power is. And this is very, very similar to Curve, meaning that if you want to stake for four years, the conversion will be one-to-one. So the power of your NFT will have X amount of JPX staked behind it. Does that make sense or do they lose everybody? That makes sense. Uh, out of curiosity, why an NFT and not a, a fungible token? Very good question. Nick, do you want to take it or should I? Oh, you go for it. I think yeah, you can explain it just as well as anyone. I think it comes down to the user base and the adopters. We found that there's a lot of value in providing a visual element to it and having something unique to the users and the DAO adopters currently are much more oriented towards NFTs and DeFi and providing them with a tool that has some identity attached to it is much more valuable. That makes sense. I was thinking like maybe because it can be more one-to-one with the DAO 
are there situations though where you'd want to like stake a little bit more, right? And then like, would you get a second NFT? What what's the uh, the latest on this? I was here for part of the discussion, but maybe not the latest version. Um, we also have Stevie G here, so that can add additional color. Uh, who's also from the DAO, but the latest on it is you can have to stake multiple times, meaning that if you have a wallet with a million GBX and you want to stake in 10,000 increments and get a bunch of NFTs, you can do that. But the voting power is going to be determined uh, by the amount of tokens underlying the NFT. So you can, it just depends how many NFTs you want to have. You can have one that's underlying power of a thousand, or you can have a thousand with underlying power of one. That makes sense. I get. I guess the trade-offs just come into when you're actually doing the voting. You have to like maybe vote multiple times. That's not like good or bad. It, it's just that uh, rather there's no right approach. Uh, it's just trade-offs. Like if people like the NFTs more, then that makes sense. Yes, the, the trade-off might come if um, and I know the DAO spoke about it. It is slowly move towards a an environment where it's on-chain governance. And then there's potentially some trade-offs. But at the point now, very few. Cool. Sorry if I sidetracked that a little. So staking of the, the JBX token in order to get NFTs uh, that represent that stake position is the plan. And then maybe there's a variety of possible NFTs you could get. So maybe people will be incentivized to, in order to have a variety of the, the different available NFT representations of their staking position, maybe stake multiple times for the sort of mimetic part. I think part of when the discussion, part of what made sense uh, about that to me for Juicebox is that, uh, as you say, a large part of the draw to Juicebox is this sort of NFT wave of DAOs rather than DeFi protocol DAOs. So there's, uh, there, there is something also about being able to wear it as a PFP or you know, just have, have it as a part of NF, that, coming from that NFT culture. Absolutely. And my, my PFP currently is sort of V0.6 probably of how how this should look like. Yeah, that's really cool. It's kind of interesting because the like OG, you know, VE curve holders or like the curve overlords as people sometimes refer to them since their voting power is so high. Um, it would be kind of interesting if they could like really top that, right? There's probably some bragging rights that sh- should be assigned to that and having it as a PFP is, is interesting. Yeah. Why just have it as tokens? Actually, I don't know, in Juicebox has, I know that there's been discussion about the quantity and the period of staking altering the visual representation or which particular NFT you get. But I don't know if, has there been any talk of doing collections that are only available, say, in the first month of staking or something like that? Yeah, like different vintages. Yeah. To be fair, I don't know the exact latest on that, but I know there's been talk about it. I don't think we aligned, uh, the DAO aligned on anything particular. Uh, If you make CVG, though, a speaker as well, he might be able to comment. All right, we'll see if he's available. So, okay, so that's some of the the idea about how the staking mechanism works at a basic level, UX kind of level from the perspective of someone who holds JBX. But I don't know if you've mentioned yet like what the benefits are of staking. Initially, the benefits of staking should be just bringing rights. The ability to add value on top of it and build value on top of it will come over time. And the interesting part is building it in a way that you can continuously build on top of it later on. It's wherever the community will want to take it. We can take it for anywhere from discounts on, on pricing to yield to a million other ideas. But the goal is to build a 
system that en enables that. So essentially the stake tokens, uh, as represented by NFTs, become sort of like a symbolic of loyalty to the protocol. And then other features or benefits could be granted to people based on which, which of those staking positions they've taken. Absolutely. And uh, Squares, Brad, here maybe you can jump in with a curve thought yeah. because th that would happen in Curve early on, wasn't it? It was just yeah, brain rights. Yeah, they, well, there was an interesting thing where uh, they, I'm trying to remember the exact history here, but they started sharing the revenue with, uh, in the beginning, it, it voted on, you know, like fees and liquidity pools and where the fees go to in the liquidity pools, you know, like which ones get more fees, et cetera, which at the end of the day, the curve token, one of the big things it does is incentivize liquidity into different trading pairs. And so by changing the fees on different pools, uh, it incentivizes more people to deposit liquidity there, uh, which, uh, you know, tightens the liquidity on these stable pairs, which is what it was in the beginning. But what they started doing uh, is they made it so that uh, revenue also gets shared. And so, you know, a portion of the, the platform's revenue goes to staked curve holders in the form of one of the LP tokens, actually. but. But yeah, so it, it's uh, transformed from, you know, it's like at the end of the day, it's kind of like an equity, right? That owns the protocol. They get dividends uh, and they also get to vote on the, like even more than, you know, traditional stock holders vote on, you know, it's not just like big board things. It's like day-to-day -day operations, which is pretty cool. Does that end up working out uh, in Curve's favor thus far? The voting on, well, I guess this is the whole convex thing that we have to get into, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, if it's, like, good or bad. It's, it's definitely, like, it's still here, which I think is actually a sign of it being good. Convex definitely added a big loop to the whole situation because, you know, one of the disadvantages of theory of staking curve is that you lose your liquidity because it's, it's locked up for a long period of time. Uh, for the most, you know, most curve holders, I think the average locking for curve holders is over a year. And the max you can do it is four years. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I did a four-year lock, actually, which is kind of crazy in the world of DeFi, right? So one of the disadvantages of that, though, is that people, you know, can't get out of their position. And so what Convex did, well, there, there, one other big issue is that there were original people that had so much liquidity or so much locked curve, rather, that they actually couldn't really compete in getting some of the higher fees. Backing up to the basics of curve, the way that it works is you can put your liquidity into a pool. And one of the big functions of the curve, locked curve token is it will boost your reward on your liquidity in that pool. So there's always like a range of rewards that you can get. And so the higher your ratio of VE curve to liquidity provided, uh, the more, the higher your rate will be um, in terms of rewards that you get issued uh, as yield. And so over time, some of the original LP holders had such higher ratios that it was really hard for new people and especially people with like small amounts of money to really compete and get those higher rates. It was, it was basically like impossible, right? You had to have like ridiculous ratios. <laughs> um, and so uh, what Convex did uh, is they came along and they created an aggregator that allowed people to one, deposit their curve there, their curve LP tokens there, and two, deposit their curve there and to give them a synthetic or a wrapped version of curve, which is CVX, CRV. And uh, then they get to, you know, using all of everyone's locked VECRV, they made it so that um, 
they could boost everyone that put LP tokens there as rewards. Uh, and so, you know, it helped essentially late arrivers and also, um, you know, smaller folks in the pond. You know, on top of that, they issued their own token, CVX. And so they incentivized CVX, CRV deposits so much that they ended up becoming, I think they have over 50% of CRV now, which is pretty wild. Let me see if I get this straight. So start with Curve. <laughs> Curve yep. is a stablecoin AMM. Is that a fair way to yep. describe it? Yeah. And uh, it issues Curve tokens or, or it issues people who provide liquidity, receive a token in exchange. And that's the token we were originally talking about. No, we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. So exactly. So Curve is a, a, a stablecoin AMM or it originally was. It's actually morphed a bit that has a CRV token, which is both a governance token and it is what the rewards for the LPs who put liquidity there. Um, okay, so, I, 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 so, so back in the day, I, whenever that was, I uh, provide liquidity, I receive uh, a token that represents my liquidity position. And then in the first case, it was so, sort of just bragging rights and the ability to vote in governance with that token, uh, which is frequent enough for a curve uh, that it matters. Uh, however, people didn't have enough tokens. So, and in addition to all of that, I'm receiving at some point they introduced revenue sharing. So people who have provided liquidity are receiving rewards for having provided liquidity. Uh, but then because the people who started, who came into curve earliest were such whales, that was kind of the impetus for the creation of convex or just in general, I guess convex was required because the staking Actually, the part that I don't understand is how can you transfer the tokens to Convex if they are they're tradable despite being locked in the staking vault? Yeah. All right. Let me summarize some stuff to simplify a bit. So Curve is an AMM, like you mentioned. People can deposit liquidity there in the form of like stable coins for the most part in the beginning. And you know, when they deposit their stable coins, just like any other yield farm, you get an LP token that represents that position, et cetera. When they do that, uh, the rewards are paid out in the form of CRV, which is the curve governance token. The rewards that you're paid out on your LP positions can vary based on how much of that governance token you've locked in the platform. Got it. Okay, and so you're getting like a multiplier essentially for having locked CRV. And the rewards, exactly. are, paid, the rewards are paid in CRV, but the liquidity position is not represented by CRV. It's represented by some other specific, specific a, pool. Yeah, an LP token in yeah, the same yeah, way yeah. that like Uniswaps or Uniswap or any other AM works. Okay, so it's just that I'm getting the rewards in CRV. Um, yeah. And if I stake CRV, then I multiply those rewards or some factor of those rewards. Exactly. Okay. If, if, you lock your, if you lock your CRV, you get something called VECRV, which is uh, vote escrowed CRV. And so the longer um, that I lock it for, the greater the reward multiplier. Exactly. And then that VECRV is transferable still. No, so VECRV is not transferable. Okay, okay. So this uh, combined with the fact that whales were kind of, you know, ruling is one of the big things that brought along Convex. So for Convex, mm -hmm. I send them the, the, the raw CRV and they do the staking piece, but give me the Convex token, which is tra tradable. Yeah, so uh, Convex does a couple of things. They, they allow you to lock your... CRV token with them. Uh, and so they get the VE CRV and they issue you a tradable version of it, right? They also right. allow you to deposit your curve LP tokens or to stake your curve LP tokens there, which represent the stable coin positions that you have. 
And how do they take advantage of pooling those LP tokens? When you do it with them, then they share, you know, that'll, you basically deposit it to their smart contract and then they go deposit it on Curve, right? And so uh, it, what it allows them to do is share the pooled locked Curve rewards or the bo- pooled boosted reward rates with the people that deposit the LP positions. Okay, so I'm staking both the LP tokens and the curve, and then they're yep. using my curve as, as well as everybody else's to create VE yep. curve, which they use to multiply the rewards on pooled liquidity to, uh, tokens, yeah. not, rather than, you know, on, on also I can also separately stake those LP tokens. And so they're applying that multiplier to the collective LP tokens. Exactly. And one like weird idiosyncrasy of AMMs to understand is on most of these AMMs, you uh, you deposit, you know, call it USDC and die, right? And you get an LP token. And then you actually stake that LP token. And there's like some kind of base reward rate usually, uh, which is uh, pure trading fees. Um, and then there's a rewards rate, which is, you know, issued in the form of token of the protocol. And this is fairly universal. And so in order to get that rewards rate, you have to stake the LP token somewhere. It's a pool, and so pool we, two, right? Yes. Okay. And so, yeah, that, that, that's like a weird idiosyncrasy where you get the you deposit funds and get the LP token, and then you stake the LP token. And so, what you're doing with Convex is you're staking your Curve LP token with them, which they go and then stake with Curve, right? So that you can get the boosted rewards. Because they're getting superior rewards than you would staking the LP tokens yourself. Exactly, because you don't have enough locked curve to get the boosted rewards rates, but Convex does. In fact, both of these parts are necessary for Convex to work, right? Like they couldn't just get the VE curve and not have a LP generating rewards to be multiplied. They need, they sort of need both. Exactly, right. exactly. They need both. It, it's like, uh, yeah, it, it only works with both. Got I mean, it. it could in theory work with one, but it wouldn't have as much of a powerful flywheel effect. Around when did Convex come out? I think it was May of 2021. Okay. So, and this is kind of surprising because did people anticipate this when Curve designed its staking mechanics? I don't think so. Uh, Hard to say. I've never been in the room with like the six to 12 people at Curve, but nobody understood Curve staking mechanics for (laughs) probably a year. Uh, And it's interesting to bring it back full circle back to GBX and think about how the staking mechanics now with NFTs are going to be different or similar. And I think one thing that's important to note is the mechanics theoretically are somewhat similar that the voting power changes based on the the length of the staking. But because it's an NFT, it's transferable. So the relationship between curve and convex that we see is technically unnecessary in the case of JBX taking. Because the VE tokens are, VE JBX are going to be NFTs and they're not going to have the limitation of borking the transfer function. You, you will be able to transfer them. So it yes. sort of ver- potentially vertically integrates the convex piece or something? Theoretically, yes. Except the, reason, the, the, the reasoning behind making the VE curve non-transferable is so that the staking position is meaningful, right? So another benefit is that in theory, it decreases the sell pressure on the token. And so by incentivizing people to lock their CRV, it decreased the sell pressure a bit and also took CRV off the market to constrain supply. Hmm. 
Okay. So it takes it off the market. So in the case of JBX, it's taking JBX out of the market because it's locked, staked. Uh, but why would Curve want the positions to be, VE Curve to be not tradable, whereas for JBX, it doesn't matter as much? In the case of JBX, the decision to make it transferable and make it a transferable NFT versus a non-transferable NFT is to avoid the downstream potential curve convex effect. Because for every hack, there's a hack. So why, why go there? Right, there's no point. But then is, there, is staking meaningful if it's not locked up? I guess in this case, it is because it's being transmuted into NFTs rather than JBX. So it is out of circulation in that sense? Yes, it's out of circulation in a tiny fractions. It now becomes in circulation in large fractions. So you will have two markets, one of the pure liquid JBX that can be tradable in Uniswap, and then you will have another one probably of NFTs on OpenSea. And those NFTs will accrue value not just by the amount of JBX backing them, but also some cultural value based on the characters represented there. Same as we all... Same as any PFP. So it sounds like there's a pretty good argument for the idea of vintages of the images or, or the properties as well, just the metadata of the staked positions that maybe it makes sense to have a 2021 uh, staked position or, you know, summer 2022, certain PFPs you couldn't get later or earlier. Theoretically, yes, but the amount of complexity that it adds from the initial launch is a ton. So it's, and that's what I love about JPX overall is the, the simplicity of the first product, release the minimum viable product, see adoption, and then build on top of that. As long as it doesn't box you into a corner. Absolutely. And we have the specialist here um, with a long blue hair that makes sure that it never boxes in a, into a corner. Sorry, guys, I, I cut out there a bit and lost service or something. But why... If you allow the NFTs to be traded, and in theory, you know, that can create a market for them, um, is there a risk that it goes, you know, they kind of get traded away if people aren't incentivized to keep them? Theoretically, yes. They can get traded away. But I guess if it's for bragging rights in the beginning, then it, then it makes sense. But I guess what are, like, what are people getting by staking their JBX besides bragging rights in the beginning? In Django, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a speaker now, but in, in the beginning, it's bragging rights. I, I have no idea. I mean, we're, we'll, we'll kind of <laughs> see, but um, for sure votes. I mean, one, it, like once we move governance that direction, it's a uh, voting utility, and then it's backed by JPX, which is backed by ETH and the Treasury. It's kind of a, a cascading sense of representation of something and just creating... I guess more more art, artful and prominent representations of of the the actual membership utility, I suppose. That makes sense. And so JBX has a decent amount of revenue, right? Like, is this will the protocol revenue be directed to JBX holders and or JBX stakers in some way? That's for the community to decide. The beauty of this is there's a lot of optionality with building a very fungible and very composable base layer for staking the the base contracts are very easy and then you can add complexity on top of them later yeah there's a lot you could do in some way it's already happening like once fees come into the treasury it adds to the shared treasury and it mints jbx tokens in consequence to the payer um who 
are probably receiving are receiving fewer JBX over time as funding cycles go on. Though so yes, we're issuing more JBX as funds come in, but proportional, there's more funds in the treasury. And granted, we are taking JBX out to pay for for I guess operations and such. But there's different ways to do it. You can imagine like fees instead of going into the treasury and minting more GBX, you can imagine potentially like putting buy pressure directly on, a, on an AMM or kind of minting some other distribution effect or something. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm trying to think of a situation where people, like one of the big things that happens a lot with Curve and Convex, that people want to improve the liquidity of their token, of their random uh, stable coin or whatever. Uh, and to do that, they will purchase a bunch of governance rights in order to vote for higher fees on their pool in order to incentivize people to deposit uh, things into that, you know, go buy it on the market and deposit it in that thing for yield, right? And I'm trying to think of like what the metaphor would be here. And if there is a situation with some, where someone might want to buy a bunch of governance rights of JBX and to do that, you know, like, do you buy the JBX token or do you go buy a bunch of it, like sweep the floor of the JBX NFT, the locked NFTs, right? And if you were going to do that, I guess it's not that weird to sweep the floor. Pretty easy to do with something like JMXYZ. Sounds pretty hot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if the, the Benny NFT you're sweeping is the sweeper NFT. And I, I think there's one that holds a broom or something. <laughs> it's nice because it gets to show up in like a context context.app or other sort of wallet following utilities you get to see you see the nft activity generally in those more than the erc20 activity so you'll see you know, django swept 20 20 bannies <laughs> i mean it's it's funny because like there is theoretically like a, a a floor that you can evaluate the the asset to like given like the current spending routine of the DAO and the general trend of fees and like how long the, the NFT is locked for. So you can kind of imagine what it could be worth uh, given that it's backed by GBX and ETH. But it's, I, I feel like most folks don't have a precise calculation in mind when they're making these decisions. So who's to say what's going to happen? So the one thing that concerns me, but I, I think I know the response already is, you know, let's say there's a vote going through and it's to, to, to pay me a million dollars out of the treasury. I could just go buy a bunch of these staked position NFTs and vote for myself at the end of the day, no different than going and buying a bunch of JBX and voting. But the, the staking mechanism here at least doesn't seem to protect it all from sort of not quite flash loaning, but just in time governance position taking. Probably not. But it's very, very similar to what's happening now with, with JBX overall. You can do that by collecting, accumulating tokens. Here, you're just going to be accumulating NFT position. It probably makes it a little bit better because the, if, if you lock for less than four years, your voting power is lower. And the people that's going to lock for four years are the ones that are more committed and incentivized to support the project over the long run. And less incentivized to sell. So if this NFT can be sold, why would you ever not lock it for four years? Good question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I only want 50% governance. <laughs> so this is the 721-ification of JBX. Very good question. Because one of the benefits of having the locked governance token uh, that people are incentivized to lock is that it forces decentralization to a certain extent. It enforces decentralization because there's 
probably going to be more people, right? So the one thing I can see, one, one rationale is if you assume that the DAO will build additional rewards besides voting and the rewards will be somehow distributed between time periods or time frames and going to be distinguished by time frames, you might be incentivized to, to not only lock for four years. Yeah, I suppose it also depends on who's going to buy the four-year uh, lock position eventually. Like, I wonder what the, the market will be for those and if it will just be tossed around given the, the current ballot at hand. But it is nice having shorter periods to give you the liquidity. Because, I mean, like right now, if someone comes in and buys a lot of GPX to influence a vote, let's say like raise the treasury di- distribution limit and like route it all to themselves, then everyone who has JBX can essentially just like like leave, right? And burn JBX and get their treasury east back in some sense. So it's slightly disincentivizing folks from making short-term abusive decisions, but I'm sure there's like little things that like aren't quite crystal clear. So I'd love to hear more, more of these like poking, how can we break it and how can we make it better? Yeah. Like NFT liquidity isn't perfect, right? Like it's not like a ERC 20 token that can, you know, you can sell any token for any amount basically on an AMM at all times. If the market is efficient, there will be perfect efficiency between the staked positions and the underlying quantity of JBX, right? Yeah, I mean, Curve and Convex do that by having AMM pools that are with high rewards, right? Like Convex votes to keep the CVX, CRV, and the CRV token pool high, which keeps the slippage low. And like as a result, like that stays pretty even. But I, I don't know what the incentive would, like I don't know how the liquidity between the vote-locked positions and the JBX token itself would go. I mean, it would be a little bit funky. Well, you know, if, there's if no, like, the floor on a locked NFT is higher than the underlying JBX plus gas, then it would behoove you to just lock that much yourself, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to the situation that you brought up of like, what if I wanted a, what if I just wanted to buy a bunch of JBX tokens and vote all of the treasury to go to me? Right. And like, that's, that's like basically impossible when the tokens, when the locked tokens are not tradable because there's more that's locked at any given time than what's out there. Right. And so no one can really just like go buy, you know, do like basically a 51% attack on the protocol. Wait, why Um, is there more that's locked than out there? Because the incentives are so high to lock, there is a large amount of it that's locked. And over time, and the lock periods are so long that because of the, I don't remember the exact, but because of the schedule of new tokens, or the emission schedule of new tokens that get released as yield, um, there's not like enough that's coming on market in order to counteract all the stuff that's been locked for so long. I mean, one thing that's interesting is you could, that you could do it with multiple steps or just put the holders of the stake tokens can claim some portion of the reserve tokens as, as a form of uh, reward for, for staking. Although I wonder, it does make me wonder if there if there's something that's keeping track of how long you held an NFT for, or just the fact if everything is binary, do you hold it right now or not? Do you hold it at the time of a governance vote or not? Or did you hold it for six months prior to this governance vote or prior to claiming your reward? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. The the other thing that's a that's a really cool way to do it actually is to enforce yeah like duration 
of holding before you can vote. Maybe that actually then, makes more sense than not allowing people to transfer because you, you you just get this wrapped problem, the convex problem. Mm-hmm. If you try and board Although, the transfer function, people would. I, I'm not sure that people would say that convex is bad. No, but, but okay. So I think we didn't really cover the main thing, which is that the whole purpose of or the whole function of convex, aside from just giving you more yield, is that it's used to vote on curve rewards, right? Until like, it, it incentivizes yes. new tokens. So if if I drop a new ERC twenty, maybe or a new stablecoin, maybe I'll take a position in convex in order to influence curve rewards. Yeah, and so, well, what convex did, which is interesting, is they allowed people who had locked their curve there and then staked the token that they get from that to do the voting through Convex themselves. And so Convex doesn't actually do any of the decision-making as a protocol. They then decentralize that decision-making of where the votes go back to the people that locked the things there. And so it's like truly just a wrapper at this point that boosts people's rewards. And so it kind of took away the whales uh, and took away the liquidity problem for the locked uh, tokens. Um, and made it so that, uh, but kept the decentralization of the voting, you know, and it's, it's hard to say whether or not they did that, you know, like in the good interest of the curve protocol, probably because they, they rely on the curve protocol being successful. So like borking the curve protocol governance would be bad. Right. I, I really like the idea of being able to vote only after a certain period of holding. I'm trying to wrap my head around if there is a technical way to implement that. If there's an elegant way to implement not being able to vote unless you hold the JBX Benny NFT for a period of time. Django, do you think storing the last transfer on chain is reasonable? Something like that. The um, the governor Bravo contract is like does that whole snapshotting dance as tokens are transferred around, which determines your voting weight. So I'm sure you could derive some some like new voting weight based on that still a little unsure like what the what it like really solves for like i think the 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 concern like i, I wonder how um how different it is from the fact that like right now with with jbx for instance just like the erc20 sure like we like a subset of people could sell their jbx to some person who's like quoting them some otc price and like all right They'll sell them to them, and then they can theoretically govern the the treasury. Um, but it does, I think, like any of these systems do rely on the community distributing itself wide enough so that uh, it's difficult for someone to like organize that takeover in some way. I wonder, like, if this is if it's like being like over preventative thinking as opposed to like solving the real problem, which probably is just distribution to more people and getting the thing out there in more more people's hands, like decentralization, essentially. So like a bad actor, though, could drop a contract where you can earn fees off of renting out your JBX or staked JBX and and allow whoever to uh, pay to use it, right? But it would require somebody exert the effort to actually build such a contract. Sure, and then whoever's like renting the thing out uh, might make short-term uh, yield or whatever, but the underlying asset would lose a lot of value if the attacker managed to like do anything or pull substantial amounts of funds from the treasury. I think like everyone's kind of working together to keep the treasury honest in a way. 
Um, and the thing, like every, everything is worthless if that's compromised. So if you hold position that's backed by the treasury, not in your interest to make short-term trades, although you could always like sell your, your asset, but you'd have to have like enough people come together and make that trade to like a few organized parties or like one organized party that's going to execute the, the takeover. And I mean, obviously the network's still young, but still, you'd still only have to coerce like, you know, sub hundred people to make that happen. But it's already like fairly difficult, right? I guess the most contentious thing in juice box governance that I'm aware of was uh, the attempt by some more speculative members of the DAO to uh, change the fee structures or whatever, or fund marketing and listing on centralized exchanges, et cetera. So yeah, I could, I could have imagined, uh, you know, there was, there was a sizable percentage of the voting population that was uh, regularly voting in favor of short-termist proposals. I don't know if that they, that they still constitute such a significant portion of the token holders, but not totally inconceivable that that group could have, could have written up a, a rental contract. Yeah. I mean, they, it, it was like an interesting situation because it was like new ideas and new energy coming in. And um, certainly like, I think no one in the community is really interesting in just kind of writing off other ideas as, oh, that's like objectively wrong because it, doesn't it didn't like wasn't floating by like the canon that was like being discussed prior but i mean ultimately in order to distribute those new tokens out there they put a shit ton of funds in the treasury i think it went up by like at the price of ethan like 15 or 20 million dollars so like everyone who held before then if the project would have gone in a direction that everyone is like absolutely unhappy with everyone would have just like burned their token and left with like you know, a fat chunk of the treasury and then start the project again. Okay. Maybe start the project again, but it's, I do get the feeling that the majority of the people, like the uh, sort of people who were there before that event would probably be a little bit reticent to actually burn their tokens versus the, maybe some speculative investors would be more willing to just, you know, dump at a high or, or something. I'm like super fan of, of, of either way. I mean, if you don't agree with what's happening, and I mean, it's the whole point. Like if someone comes in right now and mints 51% of the tokens, it's going to be extraordinarily expensive. You have to put like hundreds of millions of dollars into the, into the treasury to mint that amount. And like the value of each JBX is going to go up like substantially. And so if you come in mint 51% and you're not trying to like play by, if you're not trying to like appease a community, then everyone who's there before is like sweet. And then like right. exit. Right. It doesn't really make sense in a world of open source to do that. What was it? Justin yeah, not at all. Steam is the the classic example. I think he tried to take over Steam. No idea. He tried to take over. He bought like a 51% attack through purchasing uh, Steam, uh, S-T-E-E-E-M, and the community forked his tokens out. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I wasn't there at the time, but it's it's uh, I've heard it referenced as a kind of canonical example of like layer zero wins. In this case, like literally the community before would be like taking from that deposit, right? So if someone came in and put the hundreds of millions, they're literally giving it to everyone who was there before. If they don't convince them that they should stay. That's a seed round. <laughs> yeah, it's it, like is a new valuation of the entire protocol, whatever. And right? I kind of forgot about JPX in a couple months, I looked into it. But yeah, that, that, that kind of inherently protects against that type of thing. The tricky thing about the V thing though is it's it's not directly redeemable for the treasury like the jbx token is redeemable for the treasury but the ve token 
is just representation of JBX. So if you hold the VE, you no longer have that exit protection. You can't just like leave. So it's sort of protecting the treasury in a way, or it's making a long-term guarantee about the treasury. For sure. But it's also giving a way for people to get voting rights, which then gives them access to potentially change how that treasury is used without actually taking the trip. Yeah, so maybe there's some redemption situation that's worth at least considering accommodating for. One other interesting thing that I've uh, seen is, so like, I I know I keep going back to Curve. Uh, (laughs) I feel like that's how this was framed originally, so I'll, I'll keep doing it. So Curve's like, arguably the most resilient protocol out there, right? If you just look at AUM and think of that. And even they had a situation where they have an emergency council. I forget the actual term. I think it's emergency council. of Like six highly influential community members that can come in and make quick governance decisions in situations that could hurt the protocol. You know, and it's kind of a tricky thing to do because people that are like aligned with the protocol long-term and also like have too much money to care about, you know, losing reputational risk. Um, but they did, there was, I think, two situations where the uh, security, the emergency protocol council um, had to come in and make decisions. It was with like the Mondo one or something. I forget exactly. But like even the most resilient protocol out there had to do this, which is, yeah, just something to consider. Even as like as crazy as, you know, as, as many situations as you can think of you might need some kind of like backdoor short-term decision-making aspect. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So many already pretty cool case studies that we're building on. It's like tricky when your head's down is building stuff for months and years to like pay attention to the details of everything going on around. Exactly. There's one one more interesting case study. If, if you're familiar with Juno token in the Cosmos ecosystem, anybody heard of that? Crazy case study. Uh, I won't bore you with the details as I'm not super familiar with it, but my understanding of what happened is Juno, it's token act that airdropped to all Cosmos holders one to one. And somebody did a civil attack by splitting their Cosmos to multiple wallets and accumulating um, this Juno token. And then after the airdrop, consolidated into one wallet. The owner claimed that this was going on because they were representing multiple different, their S manager representing multiple different clients and then decided to consolidate that to manage it as a, from a fund structure. Theoretical, theoretically viable explanation, practically don't know how good it is. But the community revolted saying, well, we should fork the protocol to override the airdrop. And was up for a vote six months ago. The owner said, no, I will not sell all good. I'm with the community, blah, 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 blah. Six months later, started selling. And now they're going through a fork. And it's supposed to be any day now, I think, in two days that the final vote should be in, if they will fork to override his airdrop six months ago. Which is wild to think that this is essentially seizing assets from a stakeholder on chain as a community. I, I guess the argument is that it was kind of a hack. In right? a way. Same as like Ribbon had their exploits, but they forced uh, the fund there to return the funds to the treasury, and which they did. Is this the one where the, the VC knew about the airdrop and farmed wallets? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is maybe maybe somewhat similar, but who knows who holds the wallet actually? But here, the community decided to fork to prevent that individual having so much power over the protocol. Crazy that this is possible in in decentralized land. It's the same as the U.S. using Russia asset. Just saying, we're going to influence because we f- feel like that. Right or wrong, it's still seizing assets of another entity. And, and all the people, yeah. Yeah, that's it's wild. The decentralized governance and what you can do with voting is, is, is absolutely crazy. And I think coming back to Juicebox, there's a lot of interesting things for the protocol to explore with the initiation of taking and starting to see who, who and how is committed to the protocol and for which, for which term. So we think that maybe it's not such a big deal that the governance positions are, I mean, it does seem like there's maybe an opportunity to do something better than the situation, current situation with JBX, where you could sort of j- just in time uh, influence a vote uh, just by purchasing off an AMM and selling as soon as the vote is complete, which AMMs are maybe not. I mean, I watched the price of Gnosis token uh, dump right after their pre-announced snapshot. So like AMMs are aware of some things about governance, but maybe bi-weekly votes. I don't know to what extent AMMs are uh, responsive to the snapshot window closing or, or uh, Governor Bravo uh, in the future closing. AMMs are just like the, the place where people trade, right? And I think the market is generally aware. And if it's a significant impact on the protocol for the most, and it's been well publicized, that, you know, the token definitely trades based on how that, that governance proposal goes. Yeah, let's, let's play out an example, like a somewhat extreme example. So like, there's another DAO which wants to debit, I feel like, half the treasury for some, like, arbitrary initiative. Um, they put in the proposal and then, I guess, go in and offer everyone with a set of votes, um, like a lot, like overwhelmingly more than their NFT is backed by. What would happen? What would, like how they pull that off and what would happen in that case. Like they would first have to like find, well, I guess someone assuming that folks with the vote are all, are already have the thing listed somewhere, right? Like there's some liquidity for those assets or they like, well, can, like they, they have access to like message everybody and be like, yo, I'm on an OTC, like offer you this thing. And then, folks with those tokens have to be like down for it. And I guess the worst case is like, all right, everyone's down. So the majority of token holders of the protocol who like have maybe stewarded and like built up the protocol essentially like left the protocol with like maybe uh, like around the same amount that the proposal was offering to debit from the treasury. Um, So even though like the, token holders lost access to the treasury. They probably gained a fat sum individually. They can now pull together and like a fork of the protocol and be like, wait, start over. Um, or, um, yeah, cause I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to influence a vote to that extent, you, you have, you're going to have to probably offer as much or more the thing is backed by anyways. There are a lot of people who are sort of ambivalent so I wonder if there's like, you could imagine it as like, okay, I'm just getting paid to vote in something that I would have voted for anyway, would be one scenario. So it's just, 
financial incentive for people voting. But then if maybe the majority or, I don't know, a large portion of the tokens are apathetic to voting, uh, maybe you just sort of leave it in there because you say, well, I don't really have enough tokens to like swing a vote. So my voting doesn't really matter one way or the other. So I might as well earn yield on it by renting out my tokens or staked positions, whatever it might be. But it does require some coordination on the part of the person trying to sway the vote and likely their ability to financially quantify the gains for themselves or whatever they're trying to enable in order to justify the probably pretty expensive uh, operation. And I think that the JBX burning function for a portion of the treasury is the thing that really protects you there, right? And it, it almost makes it okay to have the votes be more liquid, right? And to have the NFTs be tradable because totally. people rage quit, right? And so like, th this is what, you know, like Curve doesn't have a treasury, right? And so th this isn't something that they could do. And so like the, the locked version saves them. Yeah, I wonder if the locked Banny NFT should just be redeemable in the same way the liquid version is. So you can't, I mean, you can't, it'll take the float off the market, but it'll still be backed by the treasury on demand. You can still burn it anytime and get the treasury ETH back or assets back. I mean, in theory, you could, you could try to create some kind of peg between JBX tokens and the NFTs with like some kind of pseudo AMM, right? Where people can trade, you know, in blocks of JBX for blocks of NFTs. Let's be real for a second. People will arbitrage that for a sec in a second. Same as we, as we see now, people arbitraging the redeem function and the AMM. We'll see a third variable here entering, the, entering, which is the value of the piece. Yeah, no, no question. No question. But I, I, I think that that's almost like the, the opportunity for arbitrages, in theory, efficiently goes away because the market finds those and takes advantage of them until there's no longer an opportunity to arbitrage, right? That's why, like, slippage goes down between DAI and USDC in the curve pools over time, right? Because, like, people with lots of money will go in and, like, trade all their DAI for USDC if there's an advantage to do that. Yeah, I think, it's, I think the arbitrage is net positive, for sure. If you want those things to be liquid, then that arbitrage, you know, is like a, a feature, not a bug. Do we because see people arbitraging the redemption versus the AMMs currently? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are like at least two bots uh, that are just comparing the prices and making trades. Like the price of JBX has a floor right now. Like if the price tips beneath, then someone's going to go in the market, buy it, and then redeem it, and make some ETH off that trade. Does that uh, cap the upside of the token? Or it means that the, the response should be governance to increase the discount rate? It's it's uh, fairly healthy, I think. Um, Mr. Goldstein could probably speak uh, to it. It limits the downside, so the bottom is actually capped, and it's in in reality, it slightly increases the floor value of the GBX token every time it happens, because the the bonding curve is the redemption rate is ninety five percent meaning that the redeemer is always leaving 5% of the table by that increasing the future value of the next token redeemed. Yeah, but it's, it's sitting at the floor for a while now, and there's also the price ceiling, which protocol is willing to mint more tokens at, which is pretty far off the, the market price. But, I mean, the, the market has, like, very little liquidity, so it's hard to even make these 
these like these judgments as how the the network like is is actually valued but it is cool to see like the floor working and in the past see, see the ceiling working the spread between those is pretty far right now i consider that be, to be healthy there absolutely should be a spread and the spread is just a representation of a potential future value capture that new token holders can have and the opportunity the size of the opportunity what the longer it goes the size of opportunity increases which is net positive for new token holders because you never want to buy at at the max and that just tells you how far off from the max you are yeah and this is what the DAO not touching amms like at all as is currently happening like as things continue to be distributed and we move more on chain with governance um, and the issuance rate keeps decreasing. Uh, it might be strategic to start interacting more with the AMM. Yeah, I, I, I can see interacting a little bit more with the AMM to support some of the liquidity being beneficial for the DAO as well. It's interesting to see the market completely discounting any future revenue for the DAO and pricing it just by tre- based on treasury, which is mostly what's happening now. It's, it's kind of surprising considering the existing track record. Are you running your own models on the data to determine how the, the AMMs are pricing JBX? Or is that something that there are dashboards for in DeFi that help you figure it out? We have built a model and made it public of how this should look like. It's on the JBX notion of how we model JBX for everybody to see. It's not a secret. And the, the beauty of it is building in public. And that helps to describe the current price on the AMMs as well? The this distance you're talking about between the JBX minting price and the AMMs? Indeed. It's out of date probably by two weeks. I think the, the cycles of updating it every month, which is fair, but um, it should give you a good understanding of how to think about those variables. Well, I, I guess if you're an arbitrage bot, though, you don't really care about the future value too much. You're just trying to take care of short-term So, like, while the broader market might price it one way and think about, like, long-term holding the JBX, if you're an arbitrage bot, you're, you don't care about future cash. It's all you care about is new services. But not everybody's an arbitrage bot. The hodlers, and there's enough hodlers, are not pricing that. But the hodlers would be, I mean, does the arbitrage bot not just represent what the hodlers opinion is ultimately? Because if they, I I suppose we're assuming that the hodlers are all tapped out with regards to investing more in JBX. Based on the data that we have, yeah, you can assume that because we don't see any price action. Interesting. (laughs) That's a bit weird. Or just the discrepancy, I don't know, the, the lack of movement in the token from you know I don't, I don't know when i last checked but whatever it doesn't it doesn't move around that much it, it certainly doesn't seem to move up very much, very much uh so people believe it's a strange indicator that 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 price doesn't move that much i mean maybe maybe what it says about juicebox is that people prefer to earn jbx or i don't know i mean there are some people who have accumulated a lot through amms I guess they're the top 10 or whatever are, there's a handful who are, uh, you know, investor accumulators. Yeah. But like, you could also say that it's just the disparity of information between the broader public and, you know, those people, because, you know, like 
like if I if I didn't know Mr. Goldstein in real life, then I wouldn't really know how crazy the cash flow, right? And so you, you almost need like a, a community element of and like, hey, by the way, everyone, cash flow is insane, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, like that. That's what you know. You saw that with like Chainlink. You saw it with you know Ripple. You saw it with Cardano. You know, <laughs> there, there becomes this like grassroots craziness uh, that does all the marketing for you. And you kind of need people to be explaining over and over again, like, look, value this like a traditional business model. Look at the cash flow. Right? This this token is wildly undervalued. Right. Like that that's almost like the way I mean, that's one way to get marketing out there of why why it makes sense to buy this thing and hold it long term. If if that's a goal to bring the price up. Yeah, in my in my mind it's like right now the folks getting GBX mostly are the projects they're building and paying the fees, but they're getting it at such a terrible rate compared to the market. Um, and I think like out of principle, we've been avoiding uh, attaching or composing with AMMs, uh, which I think is, it's, it's good for the time being. But if we can, especially with the V2 mechanic stuff, we can plug in directly to an AMM so that you're paying a fee. Maybe the treasury doesn't get the fee directly anymore. Just put the buy pressure. So then the JBX is just going to the projects, paying the fee. Um, and that can just kind of proliferate the token to folks building the network. And then meanwhile, potentially issue some like reserve tokens. Uh, every interaction to builders in the DAO um, could be interesting also. But uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. It's like a matter of information and definitely don't mind the attention being on building stuff and not on, on price. That's probably the healthy part when the attention is on building and on price. I think that the fact that there's such a discrepancy is a lot tied to information, but it's also tied to understanding how all of this works. I spent some time today. I spent some time today with a builder in space, and it took me probably an hour and a half to work through half of it until somebody actually, until it clicks. And at the end of the day, if we look at the VE model, took the market a year and a half to understand it? Yeah, it, it's it, kind of that uh, thing where like, because of that dynamic, there's certainly a lot of leverage held by those building and with information, but there's also a lot of responsibility, like fiduciary responsibility of some capacity to like uh, spread the tokens to folks who may not know as much, like those projects paying fees, but are still building to like make sure they get... It's like it's theoretically in the holder's best interest to like issue no JBX and fees come in, so there's still cash flow, but there's no JBX, uh, like new JBX being minted. But it's like great in like short term theory, and so that's all you care about. But probably not very sustainable, or probably doesn't really grow a like a network that's at equilibrium for a while. So how can we like actually get projects and folks contributing to the network growth more of the network? Like more like that decision making power. Because ultimately, these projects should be the ones helping make the decisions for governance and whatnot. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to spread the information the best once they've started building on on the system and understand how to configure funding cycles and such. And then, like that's going to be the winning situation, right? When there's not just a handful of people that like you who are spending that hour and a half talking to folks, but there's more folks who are having those conversations. And at the same time, we're getting better and building better experiences for folks to come in and, and learn quickly or at least like dip their toe in the water. 
I like that way of framing that quite a bit. Like you, you should be thinking of, I, I think the way, like don't, you know, rule out price action entirely as a goal. The goal should be to one, help DAOs govern their own DAOs better, right? I think that's the goal of GBX. Uh, and two, to grow revenue. And so if you if you think about it, like with those two things as the primary goals, the tokenomics should assist that, not hurt it in any way, right? And so, you know, when you're thinking about like where the arbitrage opportunities are or anything like revenue and making it better for DAOs, uh, not really thinking about like price back of the market more broadly. Like I said, the risk of offering unsolicited advice. <laughs> no, same page. It's interesting because the projects, like, I don't know what the top, which projects received the most JBX. I imagine the largest ones, Constitution, Assange, Shark, Moon. Not Constitution. Oh, not it Constitution? Was, no, it was zero oh, fee. Zero fee, right, of course, of course. But, but that's a very interesting comparison to, to Assange or Shark that do hold JBX in their treasury can influence governance and theoretically have an asset on quote-unquote balance sheets. Poor Constitution Dow. <laughs> they missed out on that fee. They should have paid that fee. <laughs> In retrospect, history will, will tell us, but, you know, all of us collectively are thinking, yeah. <laughs> we the people. We the people say, yeah. What I, I like to think about the fee is, like one of the hardest problems for new DAOs is setting up governance. And I think that will be the case even once there are sort of uh, turnkey templates and stuff. Um, and to have the fee as a sort of uh, non-governance choice to partake in token issuance of JBX is very handy on a governance side of things, even more than as an economic decision. It's, it's, some, it's a decision you don't have to make if you choose Juicebox and you don't get special circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. Interesting. So the discount rate then is, or you were saying some ways of maybe rewarding builders more. I guess part of my question about Assange DAO and, and Constitution, et cetera, is like, are Juicebox projects, are there long-term Juicebox projects? There are some I can think of, but it's not clear that they're always the biggest ones. Uh, although I guess we don't know what could happen in the future with making those tokens meaningful again in other ways. I, I don't yeah, know. If have we seen like burn your Assange token to get uh, you know, an Assange NFT from this artist or whatever? No, no. And it takes, it takes a long, well, maybe off platform, not quite sure. I think a lot of airdrop to token holders we're starting to see. Mm. And it's kind of a, I mean, there's a lot of things, even in the V1 protocol that never got used or really baked into the user experience. And it just goes to show that like, yeah, we can build all kinds of things and flexibilities and interesting tidbits in the protocol doesn't mean you should throw them all at people at once. And like uh, oftentimes those utilities are more like just in case, like if there's overwhelming demand to go in that direction. Um, but I think a lot of the V2 stuff was like, sure, V1 had a couple of things that we never closed, but it didn't have like several things that like, man, we wish we had to allow projects to evolve past a fundraise effectively into like more of a, a cash flow state. Which, which JBX obviously had because like the fee thing is built into the protocol and those projects kind of working closely with JBX like Wagme Studios and Canoe now Peel like they are doing well because they have the regular cash flow from the Juicebox Treasury to, for them to build build out the ecosystem in some way. Um, but they're certainly not the, the biggest projects. 
I think the biggest projects are like the more mimetic moments of like fundraising for certain things, which I, I think like they're absolutely fascinating because every single one is played out slightly differently. Like Shark was the first one and uh, they absolutely crushed it, but we learned so much from that, from that experiment because like we had never done something like that before and they're still kicking. And I think the community there is probably stronger now than it's been in a while, like since among like the first couple of weeks and months of the project. And Moondow is like incredible. And I think like what they did was what that was like really cool. That I definitely think folks should pay attention to is they ran like that first moon cycle funding cycle, which was sitting 28 days from full moon to full moon. And it was a pretty slow couple of weeks to start out. I think there was a lot of like early people there and building the vision and the energy, but they were willing to kind of pivot the narrative and then a lot of folks uh, uh, like Assange and Constitution and Moon and even Shark, everyone started with a like a pre-commit situation where they would started to build the idea of what everyone's trying to do. And then like in some emoji ticker in a Discord, be like, who's down to put, you know, 0 0.1, et cetera. And then when like the treasury dropped, then it was like a moment and then it's live. And then you start to like convert a lot of that built up discord energy into like a natural movement and then so we started to see these like big treasuries play out and so it's like interesting now as we start to like research and study like how to better do onboarding and whatnot because there's a lot of like there's an impulse to treat jbx as like a fundraising platform since those are the ones that get the attention but the ones that have been around for a long time are the ones like doing the work and like really like holding everything together and I think they're starting to get rewarded for what they do, especially kind of in terms of JBX. And there's still a lot of work to do there. And I think like we can't, um, I think like that's the strong sort of juice box protocol in general is to create these open source businesses that last. And they, they also have been accumulating JBX. And it's interesting because the existence, it's the same thing as the tokens. It's like hoarding the tokens, be it Shark or JBX, may seem to make... Uh, to protect the earlier investors or, or contributors, participants. But in fact, it limits the growth of the thing and Juicebox being willing to spend its treasury on um, contractors that are other pro projects on the protocol allows those projects to, allows for both distribution of JBX and proof of concept uh, for maybe what's like the heart and soul of Juicebox, which is these kind of enduring projects that grow the, I mean, the mimetic ones also grow the protocol in a different way, but just being the mimetic projects wouldn't be enough. It's nice to have this uh, loop where it ends up, the funds go into JBX, into Juicebox, and then funds go out to the contributing projects and they also become stakeholders of JBX and govern the future. For sure. I think that's actually a big unexplored thing is uh, unrelated projects, just routing reserve tokens to each other just to like, bind communities together, especially with, with, with the Juicebox community. Like if you're, you're already paying a fee in some capacity, but like why not throw another 10% of your reserve tokens to the Juicebox DAO should be to get everyone on your team or like, Hey, like, fuck, like, fuck it. Like let's, let's take 20%. Let's send some to shark, even though we have nothing to do with them because they have a strong community. Right. And so if we win, then shark wins. And so they want us to win. So hell yeah. yeah. Right now, like like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I uh, hit it. I was just going to say that's like a tried and true thing. And like, you know, NFTs offer whitelist spots to other NFT projects that they want to get involved. 
And uh, there was also a ton of DeFi airdrops to other groups that they wanted to get involved. Like if they know that this other DeFi project is like OG DeFi, DeFi with them and, or it's a bunch of whales or something like that, they'll do a big airdrop to those to holders of those tokens, right? So it's similar dynamics. In general, just the proliferation of your token is the, the goal, is the exchange of your token is the goal. And yep. So if you, if you have like five contributors and you're just thinking like, oh, how can we divide this fairly between us five? You're kind of missing the point. Like you, that token should probably get into as many people as possible to make each unit work more in a, a decision-making uh, perspective and like a community-building perspective in, in all kinds of ways. Yeah, I think uh, Koopa Troopa was, say, was saying something about this the other day in terms of the idea and talking about how like, you know, five to 10% should definitely be distributed to the community as a way to get people involved, spread it out um, and align incentives. But ultimately, like 100% of it should belong to those people. Those are the people, without those people, the whole thing just doesn't exist. Like it's, uh, it's nice that Juicebox has no VC, no formal VC. Because it's it it really is just it was available on the market and you could get it for working for it or in a way you can kind of get it for working contributing to it. That's exactly right. I, I guess I was referring to specifically like a distribution, event, but totally. Friends, on that happy note, I have to drop uh, to put my kid to bed. Yeah, could super be- good hearing your voice. It's been a little while. Uh, let's do it more often. And super good to see that. That PFP on you. I'm, I'm can't wait to wear all rocking one. Absolutely. Uh, we should catch up. Thanks for having me on all. Great meeting you guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming, everybody. See you next week. See you, folks. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.